Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. So we're going to be right there in Matthew. And uh, <clears throat> it's interesting, this, this passage in Matthew, because of what is often uh, kind of assumed from it. And a lot of it, and this is true for everybody who has lived, society they're from, no matter what culture and no matter what society they're from, no matter what period of history they're from, we all read things and assume things based off of what we know. And uh, so it's easy for us in a, in a a Western, and especially after after the the 19th century, where uh, a lot of theology began to kind of wrap itself around final judgments and end times. It's easy for us to read uh, that into this, and I wouldn't say that Jesus is not referring to that completely, but we tend to focus primarily on that reading of it being an end times kind of thing, which is a really weird uh, text for the lectionary to bring us to the Sunday before Thanksgiving, the Sunday before Advent starts. Um, and so let's talk about that for a few minutes uh, before I even get into the meat of it, is let's remember what is happening in Matthew. We've read a good chunk of it. Uh, one of the, I mean, I've gotten mixed feedback as we've gone through the last, what has it been, seven, eight months since uh, we've been in this pandemic. And um, I've gotten mixed feedback. You know, some people really enjoy the liturgy and moving through the lectionary, and some people don't. And that's, uh, that's not, uh, that is to be expected, right? Uh, we, can, we can walk into any. Uh, meeting, whether it's a church meeting or any otherwise, and there'll be people who enjoy what they're experiencing and other people who are like, oh, that's not my favorite part, right? Um, but one thing the lectionary does do for us is it moves us along through big chunks of Scripture intentionally. And so we've been intentionally reading Matthew because of that, and this is a discourse where God is really where Jesus is really talking to the people of Israel. Like, this is Matthew's version. Matthew was very much a Jewish man, right? And all of Matthew's gospel kind of points this relationship of God with Israel and the Messiah who was promised to Israel and how it interacts. And so don't get that confused with the fact that it doesn't speak anything to us today because it absolutely does, but we can't also take out of it the fact that Jesus was talking to real people at a real time. And he was talking to the, to the Israelites and saying, this is what it looks like. And so when we read the scripture, he is talking to people who treated people unfairly and unjustly, right? And kind of talks about their judgment. Um, but it, uh, who is he talking about? And um, 
is he just talking to the Jewish men and women? Well, let's go back and remember starting really through the whole discourse of Matthew, but specifically this most recent one, which kind of starts with him just laying into the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the people who are really kind of the leaders who aren't engaging, who think they have all the knowledge in the world uh, about this, and they know better than the Son of God, Jesus, what this scripture is referring to. He is basically chastising them and saying, you aren't, if you can't get on board with this, you're not in the family. And he actually says this, who those who treat one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters. He calls the least of them his brothers and sisters. And so Jesus is really talking about not so much the Jewish family, the Jewish bloodline, but those who believe. And so we are, we would be included in that. Like, so Jesus is chastising them against the ones. And so he's basically starting to create some distance between him and the reality that he is the one who has uh, fulfilled the kingdom and fulfilled the law, and he's putting them in uh, one category and putting those who do believe and who do trust in another. Certainly, I would imagine, with the hope that all of them who hear it would be ones who come into that family. And so that's kind of that kind of sets the stage. But what we find here in Matthew 25 at the very end of it, and Matthew 25 is really unique because it has three different uh, pictures of the kingdom and some judgment. And it starts with the ten virgins, right? And they were the ones without, five of them had uh, oil for their lamps and five of them didn't. And they went into the party while the other ones went out to buy the, the oil and they didn't make it in, right? And then we had last week the parable of the talents. And so this, these talents, these things were given to these servants and a, a couple of them used those talents, multiplied it, spread it, and was able to give the king a bigger return than what he handed them initially. And then they had the one unwise who buried his talent. And, and now we move into this story of the sheep and the goats and the separating. And Jesus tells a story, not just that he's separating sheep and the, sheep and the goats, right? Which would have been kind of obvious. Jesus is using a very common... Uh, a word picture here because it was an agricultural community and there was lots of uh, sheep farming and goat farming. I don't know if you call it farming. I don't know what you call it. They're not growing. Well, I guess they are helping them grow, but whatever you call that. Uh, and they had both, right? And the sheep and the goats, they would graze together. But at the end of the day, they had to separate them for one main reason. The sheep. They had more fur on them. They had more fat on them. They could withstand the weather. The goats had to be put up a little bit more. They were skinny. They didn't have lots of hair. They had to be put in a place where it wasn't going to freeze them to death, right? And so that separation kind of had to happen, so they understood that. And so Jesus is kind of using that and saying, but here is where that separation is going to be. Those who treat my family good will receive one, and those who don't will receive another. And so that's kind of where it was at. But really, if we look at it in different eyes and kind of this end-time scenario, Jesus is kind of telling us a story of 
two, two different things. One's a story of habit, and another is a story of justice. The justice gets told a lot more, but there is a picture and a story of habit in here that I don't want us to miss. And so think of this, and some of you guys in this room served in the military, and some of you served in active duty, and some of you watching uh, may have served in active duty and been in the military. If not, you may be like me where you've watched it on TV, right? And there's stories that are told, or you sat with veterans who've told you stories of their time uh, in war. One of, uh, when I was in college, we had this one guy, his name was Cleron Van Derrick Swinton, still a good friend of mine. And we called him Clee. And Clee, uh, he was from and well, he was from Connecticut. His mom now lives in Andrews, South Carolina. And the interesting thing about Clee is, I get there as a you know in 1995 as a 18-year-old uh, kid to college, and uh, on the football team, Clee is a, a tight end, and Clee is like 27. I was like, what in the world, man? Do you have grandkids? Like, what is going on here? Like, this is what I thought as an 18-year-old. And uh, what the reason why, Clee went into the uh, Army, uh, active duty, and he was stationed in um, the first Gulf War, and then he was down in, like, Panama for a while, not during the, that was way earlier than Clee, but there was still some occupation down there, and, some, and so he was in the Panama or somewhere in, in Central America for a while, and so he would just sit and just tell us these stories, and it's like, what in the world, man? That is, you know, as 18-year-old kids who haven't done anything other than live in their mom and dad's house and now in college, this was like, wow. And we used to, I used to love uh, Clee, going to Clee's room for two reasons. He had a great record collection, and so I'd always be borrowing CDs from, from, from him. And then the other thing is he would just tell us these stories, and he had kind of lived this life that none of us knew. Like, none of us knew anything, you know. We were, we were only like three months removed from our mom and dad from our mom making us peanut butter and jelly and uh, cutting the crust off. And Clee is here, this guy who's been in like, you know, and it's, it's really cool. But some of you guys know these stories. And you know folks who have gotten Purple Hearts and who have gotten um, Medals of Honor for doing things that ordinary, stupid 18-year-old kids aren't going to do in, a, in an environment that doesn't require it, right? I've, I've sat with Willie and heard stories, and I've sat with some of you others and heard stories, and we've seen movies where the soldier rushes in to harm's way to pull out and to help save his friends and his brothers in arms who are there. I remember, and we don't even have to put a military context behind this, I remember 9-11, and you would hear these stories of firemen rushing into this building. Perilous. I mean, if we're watching on TV from our eyes, like, what are you doing? That is not the right thing to be doing. Run the other way, right? These guys were rushing in without a thought, right? And how did they do that? Well, they were, A, they were trained to. But B, and I would imagine this is probably true for a lot of people in this scenario, they weren't focused on the danger, right? They had another job. Get people out. That was their focus. There's a story of that right here in this text. Because if you look at the story of, the, of, the, of what we later just call the sheep and the goats, but really there's two, two separate groups of people, what was unique about both of those groups of people? Both those groups of people had one thing in common. Neither one of them knew what in the world the master was talking about. 
first group, she just said, hey, congratulations. You did exactly what I wanted you to do. You fed the hungry. You clothed the naked. You visited those who were, who were sick and in prison. And they said, God, when, do, when in the world? Or he's, they said that, 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 that you did that to me. And they said, when, when did we do that, right? Second thing, he told the second group of people, you're, you're, you're not going to receive a great reward. In fact, it's going to be the exact opposite of a great reward because you didn't visit me when I was in prison and when I was, you didn't feed me when I was hungry. You didn't clothe me when I was, had no clothes. And they, both groups said the same thing. When did we do that? We don't even know. Because they were so conditioned, the habit in them led them to a place and to, and to do a thing that they didn't necessarily know they were doing, right? They were just doing what they did. And for some people, that was a good thing, and it was rewarding. And other people... It was counted against them. We all do things out of habit. Every last one of us do things out of habit. Since I've been talking, you have blinked, I can't tell you how many times. Your body has taken in, I don't know how many breaths. You have probably adjusted your body position, right? You may have crossed your legs. You may have shifted your feet under you. You may have done something. You may have looked at your phone already. Or look at your watch. All these things we do so many times, minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, that we do them without thinking. My friend Gabe was in here a couple uh, months ago, and he told us a story of driving down the road and not even remembering where you've been. And we all have stories like that. It's like, did I hit somebody on the way here? Like, I don't even remember. How did I get here? But here I am because our brains are conditioned to take and process information and discard it, process information, discard it. We hold on to what is kind of unique and kind of different. And here's a story where Jesus is saying there are two different groups of people, and one group of people just out of habit did the right thing, didn't think about it. It just was who they were. Another group of people, exact same thing. They did something or they didn't do something out of habit because they were conditioned and used to not doing it. And it wasn't, it wasn't because they tried not to do it. Just like the other group, it wasn't because they tried to do it. It was just who they were. And this was a story that Jesus was telling this group of people of saying, I want you to develop habit in your life such that this is what you do. You just clothe and you just feed and you just visit and you just love. And that just comes out of who you are. It's not a checklist of things to do. It's like, okay, this week I did visit, I went to the prison, and I found somebody who, who didn't have a lot of clothes, and I uh, found somebody who was sick, and I found somebody who was hungry, and I did all those things this week, and, and then I'll start over again next week. It's not a checklist. However, if someone's new to believing that Jesus is the Messiah and that God is the way, uh, then it's not a bad thing to say, here's some Good practices. But it's not a checklist. Jesus is looking for this to be what we do naturally. That it just comes out of who we are and what we do. If that is not what we are and what we do naturally now, the good news is God has designed us in such a way that we can reprogram our lives. And any of you guys who have uh, 
formed habits, good or bad, know this is true. When I was younger, I had family members who smoked cigarettes, and I thought, that's disgusting. I'll never do that. And then I got in college, and I had a friend. Hey, you want a cigarette? Sure, why not? I developed a habit to do that continuously for over a decade. I tried to quit. It was hard. I couldn't do it. And then one day, God delivered me from that. I'll tell you that story sometime, maybe. But I remember when I got back into a place where I could, it was when we went down to adopt Jude, and I couldn't get any down there. I mean, I probably could have, but I didn't. I just, it wasn't the right thing to do. And so I was like, well, and so for three months, none. That habit was broken in me. I got home. I went to the saddlebag of my motorcycle, grabbed a pack of cigarettes. I knew were in there. Went to smoke them. My body was done with it. I said, nope. This isn't what happened anymore. And I was sick as I could be, but I was really thankful. But I, have, I was able to re God reprogram my life. We are all designed that way. You may have gone through periods of time where you worked out and you did some physical things, and it's like every day, like that's what I need to do. <laughs> and if you've been in that cycle, you know it doesn't take a whole lot of days to reprogram your brain the other way. It's like, I'm not working out today, I'm sleeping in. We have that ability to change those things, and God's designed us that way, and the good news is we can begin to develop those habits. So if that's not who we are, we can begin to do that because it does take work at first. Anytime we want to start a new habit, it takes work. It takes dedication. It takes doing it repetitively over a period of time until eventually it's just... What happens? Your, your story may be like mine, where that working that muscle comes first with just listening to God. And for me, it starts with just noticing, because I'm not quite ready to move, right? And then it comes with moving a little bit. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to help this person. Then that's when we start to create like lists of people we will help and people we won't help, Right? Jesus didn't have that list in here, but we developed them, right? Ah, that guy made bonds, whatever, with that. That lady may do this with that. So we kind of start developing, but it starts to work that. What I've seen is eventually we do away with those lists because we realize God isn't everybody, whether they're going to do the right thing or not. And our, The real habit we're developing is not so much blindly doing something as much as it is blindly following Jesus and being obedient to what God's called us to do. And so there is this story in here, this underlying idea of habit. Neither group remember doing it, but both groups did it and just sprung out of who they are. And God is wanting us living this way because we know that in a world such as ours, to be people who do that, it draws attention to God. And how does it draw attention to God? Well, because you have people say, why in the world did you do that? Don't you know that person will do such and such with such and such? Or they'll, they're just taking advantage of you. They're not really, whatever. Hey, that gives us an opportunity to say it has nothing to do with me or that person. It has to do with God and what God wants to do with that. And that's not for me to control. And so it gives us an opportunity. And that's compelling. That draws people to the gospel. That draws people 
to a faith in a God, to a faith that God loves them. This morning as I was driving in, I heard a song. I never heard it before. Couldn't tell you the name of it. But it talked about how God was for us. And that struck me. Uh, because for a lot of my life, I know, because I've heard it from the church and I've heard it in my own brain, what God is against, right? coming out of an election season that talks about all the things that where, where Christians try to frame things around and say here's all the things that God is against so we got to vote in such a way that it makes that not there and this song was not focused on what God was against but saying that God was for me and sometimes when we just live lives like that someone who's down on their luck someone who finds themselves in a situation where they're in prison which I, I like the fact that God included that one because a lot of times for us that denotes they did something wrong. They got what they deserved. Jesus included them in this list. Visit somebody in prison. You feed the hungry. Clothe those who are naked. Visit the sick. Sometimes for that person, that's a thing that they need to realize that there is a creator that is for them, even if they found themselves in prison because of something they did. I think doing that helps us to realize that God is for other people too. Um, because sometimes we can buy into that narrative that God's not for other people. Or sometimes we can buy the narrative that God's not for us. But being able to, to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us and change us can do that. The second thing, and this is the most obvious thing from this, from this uh, scripture here in Matthew, is that there is a story not only of habit in here, but there's a story of justice. One of the interesting things that came out of uh, the 20th century after Second World War and some other things were happening around the earth uh, that were very inhumane, we developed an international court of justice, right? And it is in the Netherlands. It's in Hague. And it's a place where the international community basically can assess and look at situations that are happening, whether it be Kosovo or Rwanda or, you know, we like to talk about foreign places. Maybe it's happening here. Maybe it's somewhere else. But the world can look at this and say, this is unjust. And let's have some parameters around that. And let's have some ways to be able to uh, change this through, through coercion, through laws, through different things. And so this came out of that. And the, one of the biggest reasons it came out of the 20th century was because we, as people, understand and know what it's like we have a driving desire for justice. All of us do. Our heart is bent towards justice. And that justice is wanting to put things right. And we know when it's not. We know when things aren't just, when things aren't lined up, when things aren't correct. It's central to the Christian and Jewish Faith was this idea that God would put things right, that there was justice in the kingdom of God and that God would put things right. And it was less about, although we do tend to focus here, again, we read things in the way that we can understand them, it's, but it's less about um, punishment for the bad 
And if we read Revelation, it's more about God coming to earth and setting things back in order and putting things back the way they should be, putting the world back in balance. And that story is here. And so while it does bring the idea of a final judgment at the end of the days, it can also be argued that Jesus is talking about judgment here and now. That Jesus is talking about this idea of liberating um, the believer of any, anything they're experiencing that is um, causing resistance because of their faith. That God is talking to them and saying, hey, I know you're choosing to follow me now and it's not easy because here's these teachers of the law, here's these Pharisees, here's these people who are telling you that you're unwise in this and that you're following a crazy man, you're following somebody who's a liar. In fact, Jesus knows they're about to kill me for this, right? And so for them, he's saying, hey, it's also justice for you now which is a very liberating thought. It's a very freeing thought to know, A, that God is for you. He cares about the situation you're in, and he's actually going to bless the people who bless you and curse the people who curse you. And for us, when we find ourselves in those situations, that is a very liberating, freeing, and encouraging thought. And so Jesus is basically telling them, I am going to set things right. In fact, there is a final judgment, but this is more about you finding peace in the here and now. About you finding some sense of justice now, even if you're still experiencing this hardship, knowing that the Son of Man is here in your shoes, took on flesh. It's what we're about to celebrate in Advent. Experience it with you and are going to create judgment for those who are against you. It's one of the reasons why Christianity explodes in areas and places and in people groups where there's severe injustice and can struggle at times to gain momentum in places where there's plenty. We don't have to look past our own uh, country's heritage to see that, right? People came here for religious freedom. They're being oppressed. They come here. It's, it's booming, right? It's all through the 1800s. There's revival after revival. Three great awakenings happen within a hundred years of each other, from the early 1800s to early 1900s. Like spirituality was booming, and but then as things start to get really good, right? We start to rely less and less on God. It starts to become, and that just happens. It happens naturally because. Why? We feel self-sufficient. We feel like we've made this. And we need these celebrations like the one we're about to enter, Thanksgiving, to remind ourselves we didn't do this on our own. God did this. But it does make it harder to gain traction. But you go to places where it's not, right? One of the biggest places where Christianity is exploding right now is in Iran, where it's not even legal to do that. And it's Busting at the seams. We saw this happen in the 90s and early 2000s, and even still to this day, just not quite the same clip in China, where it's just exploding because this, and this is the, one of the reasons is this is a very liberating and appealing message for people who don't feel like their life is 
experiencing justice. <laughs> they feel like maybe they're experiencing oppression and different things. And so it just explodes in those environments because why? We want justice. We want things to be made right. And this is a message of hope. But the good news is, A, we don't have to be people who let this wane during that time. And B, there are people all around us who are experiencing different injustices who need this measure of hope, who need to know that there is a God who is for them, who loves them, who is going to set things right even though they're not quite right now. N.T. Wright wrote this, here at least, he was talking about this particular scripture, here at least Jesus is portrayed as launching, and I love the way he says this, Jesus here at least Jesus is portrayed as launching his followers on their dangerous and vulnerable mission as his brothers and sisters with the knowledge that he, their older brother, is already ruling the world and taking note of what they suffer. That Jesus is t- gathering these group of people and saying, I know I'm sending you out to some hard stuff. I'm asking you to do some tough stuff. But just know that I've already conquered the world that it's already been set right, and I'm taking note of the injustice that you're experiencing. And for the believer, man, that is a lot of encouragement to know that whatever it is that God's calling us to do, he has already done. He has already accomplished it. He is working on it. What God has called us to is a place where he is already working and already moving, and we can be uh, living a lot of freedom in that. And it encourages us and propels us to say, I can do this because it's not relying on me. I saw an interesting quote that I loved. I wish I'd saved it. I did not. So I'm going to paraphrase it. But there's a, there's a rock artist who is a believer. His band is not so much a Christian band, but they're called U2. And the guy's name is Bono. I don't know what his real name is. That's just what he goes by. And uh, maybe that's a trivia question somebody knows. I don't. Um, But he says, don't quit praying for God to bless what you're doing. Instead, find out what God is doing and get involved in that because that's what he has already, he is already blessing that. I thought, that's great. That is for the believer what's true. Like, our job is really to find out, God, what are you doing? Where are you moving? Where do you want me to go? And less about, hey, God, this is what I'm going to do. Could you bless it while I'm doing it, please? Um, we need to change that and shift that and reorient that because if we can get into involved with what God is doing and blessing, then we have tons of hope. I think the fear creeps in when we kind of have this idea, hey, it's something I like to do. God, would you bless this? And we're like, I'm not sure if he's going to. And so we have fear and we have anxiety. But in this story... Jesus is really bringing two things to our brains. One is this idea of habit that we can, that he wants us just to do these things naturally, let it flow from who we are. But second, there's a story of justice saying, I am going to set the world right. And the, the great news is that I think is fantastic about this is not only is Jesus going to set this right, but in this story, he is setting it right through the hands and feet of other people. He didn't say, you told me where there was a naked person and so I knew where to go clothe them and you told me where there was somebody hungry and you told me where there was a prison 
and I went and did all this stuff. He said, you did this. And so he gives us the freedom to be able to go and do this stuff, to create habits in our life where we can bring God's justice to other people, which I think is a fantastic story for us to read moving into Thanksgiving and Advent, is that we can be people who create habits in our life whereby naturally we provide God's justice to people who don't see it. As such, we want to know what a church growth model is. We want to know what a good evangelism model is. This seems pretty good. I think Jesus uh, gave us a really good model here. Create the habits in your life where you are the one, where I'm providing justice through the work that you are doing just naturally because of who you are. And that only happened, right? Fast forward to Romans 12. It only happens because of the renewing of our mind, the transforming of our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so that habit work begins with that. Begins with spending time with God, letting him transform who we are and change our, our ideas and, and eventually change our habits so that we can be people who provide justice and mercy for those who need to know that God is for them. And so with that on our hearts and minds this morning, we're going to pray to this same God who is for us. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, you have created all things. You will make them all right one day. One day everything will be perfect. And we're thankful. But God, we do acknowledge that we have a hand to play in that and that we can, that you can use us to bring your justice here on earth just as it is in heaven, just as you taught us to pray. And so God, this holiday season, this Advent season, as we move into a time of preparing to celebrate the coming of the Messiah in human flesh. God, for those of us who need to hear this, who need to create and develop habits, God, would you give us space in our lives to do that, trusting that you are going to provide where there's need, but that maybe you will use us to do that. And it's for that that we can be thankful. We're thankful that you have used other people in our lives to provide where we had needs, that you showed us that you were for us through the hand of a parent or a grandparent or a friend or a pastor or a neighbor who did something not because they were coerced, but just because they loved you. And through that, you gave us a picture that you're for us and that you love us. May we be that for other people as well. God, on that final judgment, may we be counted as people who just naturally did what it was that you asked us to do. And we love you, God, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.